Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome to another episode of the Addy Hour. It's my pleasure to welcome you all back. And I'm really honored today to host what I think is a really timely conversation especially as we're getting ready on several college campuses and university campuses across the nation to go back to our fall semester. Obviously, this is a fall semester that, again, is different from what we've experienced before. And so I think today's conversation is very timely as we think about campus life, as we think about mental health and faith in our ongoing pandemic world. And I'm grateful for the guests who are joining me today, uh, these individuals I've known for a few years and have been able to interact with and partner with in different ways. And so I'm excited to be able to share uh, their words with all of you. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation and the wisdom that I know they're going to share with all of us as well. So the first guest I'd like to introduce is Chaplain Sharon Kugler. And Sharon has been the chaplain at Yale University since 2007. She came to New Haven from Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, where she had served as university chaplain since 2000 or since 1993. She has three decades of experience in ministry, in higher education, in interfaith collaboration, and in pastoral, pastoral and social ministry. Her main focus at Yale has been cultivating chaplaincy for students, faculty, and staff, which defines itself by serving the needs of the richly diverse religious and spiritual traditions on campus, allowing for deeper dialogue, increased accessibility, personal growth, creative educational opportunities, and pastoral leadership. And Sharon is also one who has served in several different leadership roles in national chaplaincy organizations. So I'm grateful and honored to welcome Sharon Kugler to the Addy Hour podcast today. Thanks so much for being here. It's my pleasure. It really is. The second guest I would like to do, introduce is Orlando Yarborough III. Orlando is a scientist, certified leadership coach, consultant, speaker, and trainer. He coaches and trains a diverse international portfolio of young professionals, academics, and community and business leaders in leader development, professional and communication skills, and personal growth. He also pastors the Black Church at Yale, also known as BK, which is a student-run church on Yale's campus that has been in existence since 1972. Dr. Orlando, uh, Orlando is a Meyerhaus Scholar who holds a BA in Biology and Africana Studies from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and a PhD in Genetics from Yale University. He also holds certificates in Marriage Counseling and Pastoral Leadership and is certified as a Maxwell DISC Method Behavioral Consultant 
and Maxwell Parenting and Family Guide. So deeply honored to welcome Orlando Yarbrough to the Addy Hour podcast as well. Thanks for being here, Orlando. Thank you. It's my honor to be here. The third guest, which I'd like to introduce, is Omar Bajwa, who is the Director of Muslim Life in the Chaplain's Office at Yale and who has been engaged in religious service and interreligious engagement and educational outreach since 2000. He holds uh, degrees and has a certificate in Islamic chaplaincy. He also has an MA in Near Eastern Studies and an MS in Communications. He is someone who has studied several classical Islamic sciences with traditional scholars from Pakistan, Turkey, and the United States. His interests include Islam in the United States and the intersections of culture, media, politics, and spirituality. He regularly lectures about these topics and others around the country, and he is also the co-editor of a forthcoming book, Mantle of Mercy, Islamic Chaplaincy in North America. So thank you, Omar, for also being here and joining us on the Adi Hour podcast today. Thank you. It's a uh, profound privilege. Thank you. Well, again, I'm grateful to all of you for being here. And I just have to start by saying how grateful I am for the work that you all do on campus and, uh, you know, investing in students and really walking with them in their spiritual journeys. And especially with all the topics that we're going to be talking about today. Obviously, that's always important work and even so much more so in all of the things that we're experiencing as a society these days as well. Um, and even before we start, I think, you know, we're going to be talking about important topics, but also just want to, of course, acknowledge that there are challenges that are going on all over the world. Sometimes things that get more pressed than other times, obviously the events in Afghanistan, but just acknowledging that these um, challenges are things that are going on on an ongoing basis and want to be just um, acknowledging and, and cognizant of that, even as we're having the conversation today too, but knowing that this is in the context of that as well. I um, so just wanted to make sure that, you know, our audiences knows that we're, we're thinking about those things as well and just the, um, the challenges and sufferings that a lot of people are going through in many ways. Um, at the same time, it also gives me hope just being here on the screen, on the airways with all of you and knowing that we're all in this fight and this uh, struggle and this joy of life together. Um, so with that, just wanted to start out, as I often do, just checking in with all of you to see how you're doing these days. This is obviously, again, another unique semester that we're entering into on our college campuses. And just want to see how you all are doing overall, both in your personal lives and in your roles and interactions with students. Um, so Sharon, if we could start with you. Sure, thank you. Uh, I think, you know, I've, I want to first say I, I ended last semester as exhausted as I think I'd ever been mm -hmm. in my professional career. Just uh, what's the expression, tired to the bone? Mm -hmm. um, and so the month of July, I, I took a technology break um, and that was very helpful to step away from the email, um, still doing some work, but just really putting a pause on Zoom and all those things because I was frankly nervous about the next year, about this, this um, new semester that starts in just two weeks. And um, it did help, it made, it made a difference and it gave me a chance to have um, some meditative time. And I've been doing a lot of thinking about what our students have experienced, how they're trying to make sense of what they're coming back to. Um, the anxiety levels are very high everywhere, uh, but uh, especially with young adults, uh, it's we know this. The studies have shown the increase in, in these challenges. So I am also aware that I can't uh, 
I can't fix it all. It's not my role <laughs> to fix it all, but I can witness it um, and tell the truth. And that's what I'm trying to do. We had a, a staff retreat last week, a day long retreat together. Omer was there. And part of the theme of the retreat was there's healing in the return. And so mm-hmm. we're talking about that. That's the words of uh, the Buddhist teacher, uh, Sharon Salzberg. And, and what does it mean to return? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to be part of that healing? So that's kind of where my head and my heart is right now uh, as we look to the fall. Well, thanks for your honesty. And I appreciate you sharing that reflection time as well and the ways that you were identifying with your students and understanding what they're going through, what we're all going through. I'm curious if it was difficult to pull away, even at the beginning, even as you had set that in motion, was that, how, how did that process come about? Well, you know, you really have to give yourself permission to do it mm. because honestly, it's muscle memory. I mean, I, I don't sleep with my phone on the bed table. I, that is one flight of stairs away. And that's mm. been a good habit that I've kept. Uh, really, I've kept that up ever since I've had a smartphone. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it's made a difference so that I, I don't have that reflex when I wake up in the morning. Um, but it's the first thing I pick up when I go downstairs, you know, so I had to really pay attention to that and, and also ask myself the question when I'm opening my computer, what is it that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Are you writing something great? Are you reading something that's been written and isn't sort of a social media thing? Awesome. <laughs> so I, but it took, I would say it took probably four days to mm, establish yeah. a discipline. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's helpful to hear as well. I mean, even as you're describing the phone being a flight of stairs away, I'm sure many people kind of recoil. Oh, ooh, uh, just kind of that, that, wow, can the, can the phone really be that far away? What if I miss something important? So I think you're exactly right. And it sounds like in a way you've, you've, uh, you've set up a discipline. Mm-hmm. But even with that, it sounds like it still took time. So I think that's, that's really important that you were able to do. I think that's a good principle too, because I know, you know, with students that I've interacted with, that's been something we've talked about a lot. Just giving yourself that time. I think the tendency is to day one say, oh, I couldn't do it. It didn't work. And then to get stuck and then mm-hmm. to start to beat oneself up and kind of get stuck in the cycle. So I appreciate your, your, your candor in that too. And, you know, taking us through that process as well. So sure. what about you, Orlando? How is the, how is the, uh, process been for you in terms of everything that we've experienced and as you're you know getting ready for the fall semester yes thank you um at the beginning of august i got a chance to take a technology break and spend time with family um in in a different state and that was refreshing um it wasn't planned so i don't i don't necessarily take planned technology breaks though i should uh, but this was one by circumstance and it just helped me to be in the moment, to be present, and to um, say, okay, I'm away, uh, and I can connect uh, in a different way with people. I think as I enter this semester, in terms of my role as Pastor BK, I'm worn, and we haven't even started. Um, And I think I'm worn in terms of strategy. Uh, I don't necessarily know that there's an expectation for leadership to have answers, uh, but certainly the time where you need a leader is during the time when there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I'm just recognizing that I can't plan that far ahead. Uh, and or, yes, can't plan that far ahead. Um, 
maybe not even a couple of weeks ahead. Uh, and I don't have all the answers. And so the question is, you know, what are the values or what are the principles, what are the spiritual practices or even the, the goals that I may want to hold on to and may want to encourage our members and our students to hold to. Uh, so I think in terms of being a strategic leader, I'm warned um, because I'm not coming up with long-term strategy. And I think that's appropriate for me not to do so. We've seen that long-term planning doesn't stay. Um, and at the same time, I am hopeful and challenged about the idea of having spiritual community on campus or spiritual mm -hmm. community that's connected with the academic um, start of the year. Uh, if there's any time to bring a wholeness to who uh, I am, to who our communities are, uh, this is the time to do it. So I think my being a part of this work and being a part of the larger fabric of Yale University and of campus ministry, um, we're made for this time. Mm. Uh, and so that, that gives me a lot of hope and encouragement. And I'm looking forward to uh, just being the person for this hour and connecting mm. with other people as students who are the people for this hour. Mm. That's really encouraging to hear. And I appreciate your level of transparency as well. Um, and I think I'm sure this has likely been your experience, but I know for me that level of transparency is healing in a sense too as our students know that we don't have all the answers and as they hear us walking through it as well, and as they see us also leaning on each other and on them as community members. And as you talked about the spiritual community, I think that goes such a long way. Um, and Eddie Glaude Jr. was on the podcast previously a couple of weeks ago. And one thing that he talked about, which you reminded me about, was just the, the, the wholeness that can come from brokenness as well. Mm. Because he talked about the wholeness of community, but not to say that there aren't cracks in the jar, so to speak, as he yeah. mentioned. And so even as you are trying to figure out what the strategies look like, you haven't figured it all out, but you're able to lean on community and to have a sense of wholeness with the community in that space. And I think that's really powerful. And I would, yeah. I would imagine that your, your students get strength from that as well as they see you walk through that journey. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yes, thank you. Omar, what about, what about for you? As you yeah, well, thank you to re-engaging. You know my friends and, and colleagues, just fantastic answers. I think for me, there's been sort of this juxtaposition, uh, this tension almost between, you know, two overriding uh, feelings. One is, you know, to be very honest amongst friends, you know, in many ways, I felt myself really in the last year and a half able to breathe, right? With mm. just the forced slowdown, right? The nature of our work in the academy, in these spaces, in academic spaces, in community spaces, is that we're always on. And I just felt like for me, very personally, I spent a lot more quality time with my family. Mm. I was able to, to, to uh, revisit a lot of my spiritual disciplines and practices that I'd always, that I had, that, you know, sort of that wane, but you want to get back into. And so, and then of the of the blessings i would say of that is i had time where the outside world was shut off and then i got to do writing which i'd always wanted to do when i sat down with my friends and we worked on this book project together um which is forthcoming as you mentioned thank you uh and so that in that way i feel incredibly grateful and blessed uh to the almighty for everything that i got at the same time you know, uh, I'm mindful of the world has been and continues to be a place of deep sorrow and tension and 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 brokenness, as you know, we've witnessed, you know, at so many levels. Um, 
but at a personal level right now too is i am full of as as orlando said too the uncertainty of the fall semester like i'm just finding myself day after day we're getting closer to the opening of the semester and i just have this 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 unease and anxiety with like you know like the the unknown like what's it going to be like you know and i understand things keep changing we have to be nimble uh we have to be flexible with this but but uh, I mean, what I think a year ago where I was feeling, it was a very different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but thank you for asking. Well, that's encouraging to hear as well, just a refreshment. And mm-hmm. as you've named, just the tension that's still there as well. I'm also curious, if you talked about some of the spiritual disciplines and the writing you've been able to do, even amidst the anxiety that you're feeling as we all come back to campus in mm-hmm. a sense. Yeah. How do you anticipate those moving forward? Do you think those disciplines will stick are you starting to are you going to see how it goes you have it sounds like you had the space to create them and is that space going to still be there as you go forward because I imagine that's something that a lot of students will be thinking Mm -hmm. about as well yeah no thank you I mean you that's a million dollar question that I ask myself (laughs) every day right is that I want to there's days when I think I've got this I can do this I can maintain it you know once you be healthy once you be balanced how they do it there's other days where I'm just like oh no, something's got to get jettisoned over the edge, right? Of the ship to keep it upright. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I go back and forth day after day. Uh, yeah. But I'd like to think, you know, I, I'm surrounded by by incredibly supportive people that one of the things that, uh, that I've sort of tried to remind myself throughout this is that, you know, no man is an island, right? So to speak, like I, I, I can't do it alone. Like all of the support that I've had uh, has come from family, friends, colleagues, that has allowed me to 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 flourish in my own way. So, and I'm going to be mindful of that. And so, mm-hmm. it's just about shifting. We're going to re-engage with community, right? With our friends, with our colleagues, with our students. And so, it's about re-navigating that. Yep. All right. You. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And it reminds me of what Sharon mentioned too in this topic that you all had talked about in the return, the coming back and the returning. And I'm curious if if any of you are willing to share some of if there are any principles that have come out of those discussions, even the retreat that you all had together in terms of ways to return or maybe things to try and be aware of um, along any of these aspects in terms of spiritual practices, in terms of mental health, just in terms of navigation. Um, So anyone that's willing to kind of share Mm -hmm. some of the, maybe some of the conversations around that? You know, I I think um, Omar and Orlando both touched upon this in different ways, but we're we're living with contradictions, right? So Mm -hmm. we're so there, there's the built-in kind of anxiety and, and worry that we feel of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been living with the unknown for so long now that sometimes the word doesn't even have the power that mm-hmm. we know it actually has, but we just sort of glide over it. There's so much unknown. Well, that means there's so much loss. There's, you know, there, there's so much uncertainty. These are all big, heavy things. Um, at the same time, there are also these joys that are there dancing in the middle of it too. You know, we're seeing each other again. We're planning for a kind of, you know, a future. We're not sure what it's going to look like, but we're trying to put our heads together and figure out how can we pull off this ritual? You know, how can we do this or that? And that, that, that I think it's feeding us, um, but I think what came out of our retreat, and certainly Omer, please um, chime in, was also just a willingness to say there's just a lot of mess ahead, mm-hmm. and we have to be kind to ourselves and each other as we sort of tromp through it. Um, and that's just us, the adults. So mm-hmm. you can imagine how students are going to be. 
and they live a life that is a lot faster paced. You know, I was mm-hmm. um, just talking with a friend the other day about students on their phones are having probably five or six different kinds of conversations with different individuals in their lives all at the same time. Mm-hmm. They could be texting with a family member. They could be texting with a professor, with two friends, with somebody they want to be friends with. And then they're also filming themselves and they're doing all kinds of other things. And so there's just, there's a different energy that students have as they wor- walk through the world that we as chaplains and, and imams and ministers are, are witnessing and trying to help them also step back and, and kind of gain an agency over themselves. And so I think about the beginning of the school year and normally our offices would be crowded with students coming by to say hello and get an ice cream and all those things. And now we're going to be there, but we're going to be masked and they can't loiter. And, we can't, you know, so it's all, it's all going to be a kind of messy, albeit loving something. And we just don't quite know what it'll be, but you know, what I'm, what I'm most excited about is providing some kind of soft landing for these students that are processing so much, both in their personal lives, but also in their academic and social lives. So, mm. yeah. Wow, that was really well said. And even though it was probably not meant as a profound word, even the way you just said it, it'll be something. <laughs> I think that that captures it, mm-hmm. all, all the different pieces and all the elements. We don't know what all that will look like, but it will still be something and that something will still be meaningful. Yeah, if I may, just one more thing. I think that, and I appreciate you catching that as a leader, you know, I'm often asked questions that I just don't have the answers to and I feel (laughs) horrible about it. Um, But I do know there will be something. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. Omar, anything you want to add there from your yeah, perspective? Yeah, no, thank you, Sharon. Uh, uh, I mean, fantastic. Uh, you know, we're very little to add. I mean, I think one of the thoughts that I was that I keep coming back to, uh, and, and we, we talked about the retreat as well, is you know, and I'm guilty of this as well, right? The language of when are we going to return to normal? When will things go back to normal? Like normal classes, normal social interactions, and all of that. And and look, just as much as the next person, like I'm I'm pining for that, right? But I think uh, you know, one of the things that I remind myself is you know, to just really shift the lens in a sense that say, well, of the many lessons that maybe the pandemic and this the global slowdown has taught us is that, you know, what was normal before? And normal may have worked for some, but it didn't work for many, right? In terms of race relations, in terms of healthcare, in terms of education, in terms of predatory economies, and, and the list goes on and on, right? And so, I, I mean, I don't have the answer except to say that, like, is that the normal I want to go back to? Or is there, or can we, can we try to create a different normal or world, right? Um, that's something that, you know, this idea of healing and return as we're being invited back to, to return to a, sen- a semblance of life together. Uh, and how do we heal, right? The fractures uh, from, as the last year has taught us, right? With the massive social upheavals and we're witnessing sort of uh, horrible uh, climate change that's accelerating in front of our eyes and the list goes on, right? I just try to, I mean, I, I try to, at least with my kids, we try to talk about this from time to time is that they're all geared up. Let's, we're going back to school. It's going to be normal again. Well, let's slow down and think about, you know, what does normal mean for you and I? What does it mean for people around the world? So I just put that out there. Yeah, that's a really important point. And what, what the new normal will look like. 
Mm-hmm. Um, to, to follow up with that a little bit, I'm curious from the lens from all three of you, what you've seen shift in terms of campus life since since the pandemic started and what you've seen shift for the good and what you've seen maybe shift for the bad and ways that we're trying to address that. Um, Orlando, maybe we can start with you if you have any uh, perspectives there. Yes, I, I think a positive shift might be a greater appreciation for relationships a greater appreciation for who's in front of you. Um, I can imagine students not not wanting to break apart (laughs) in their evening conversation or leave the the group that they're a part of. Um, I can imagine some professors just uh, really appreciating more deeply being in the classroom and interacting with students. There's an ease to being in person in terms of communication, in terms of timing uh, that we can take breaths together and that we can pause and people can still follow each other in terms of uh, what's being thought or what's being communicated. And so I think there's gonna be a heightened appreciation for being on site and in the presence of one another. Um, And I also think uh, on the challenging side, there might be, um, I think dependencies may come out. Um, I think there may be some unhealthy uh, revelations of of behavior or desires that will allow healing to then come because of that revelation. But I think that's going to come out, Um, uh, you know, something during the pandemic. uh, Many people on campus felt isolated because even though they were on campus, they weren't necessarily all together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you take two isolated people who want to be together. And they're hanging out maybe more than they should, or there's increased desire. So I think there'll be a little uh, maybe overcompensation or overcorrection in terms of what happened last year, what's been happening over the summer, and the opportunities that will present themselves uh, this coming year. Um, I think it will be mostly positive, and everything will be an opportunity for further growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and again, I keep isolating that words, but I think growth is, is so well said on that aspect as well, because even as you talked about some of the positives and some of the areas where there'll be tensions and opportunities for, for learning, it seems like that is exactly what it is. That And then to go back thank to what Sharon said, to have grace for some of those missteps or challenges along the way and to make sure there's room um, for that because it's a journey that we're all in together. Definitely appreciate you sharing, sharing both of those insights. Thank you, yeah. And then I know, I mean, you've also, as we've been talking, you've all, all of you and myself included, I think we can all relate to the anxiety component that's been there, that's been there. And, you know, classically, as we talk about anxiety, kind of that creeps up when there is either something that's unknown or a perception of things being unknown. And there's a lot of truth to that in this moment that we're in right now. So also, you know, in your interactions with students, I'm curious how you have seen and how you've walked with students in terms of their emotional journeys and their mental health. How, how have you seen that play out? I would anticipate that it's been a mixture, um, but would love to hear how that process has been and then what you take from those experiences as you head into this new semester and continue to think about how you support students in that way. Um, Omar, maybe we can start with you this time around. Sure, thank you. Um, you know, two thoughts come to mind. One is uh, related to, to the point that is that, like I, students are so hungry for community and connection, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it literally, I open up my email every morning and I've got a different student, undergrad, postdoc, like when are we gonna start Friday prayers again on campus? Like, when can we see each other? When mm-hmm. is, you know, the the uh, the uh, uh, student life aspect of, of campus gonna pick up again? And the answer is always, um, I don't know. 
uh, uh, but you know, God willing soon, uh, and let's just be patient, right? Uh, and I think that relates to the, the second point about the mental health is that I think um, there aren't any easy answers to this, uh, you know, to navigate with students. But the thing that I have really been able to stress in a lot of my one-on-ones with students, and that's in my, in my mind, one of the interesting sort of things that I discovered with this is that um, I'm all about in-person interaction, being present, being present with the other person. But I found myself doing a lot more one-on-ones, right, <clears throat> with, with students uh, and community members during this. And one of the things that's come out is, in a strange way, we've been able to go deeper, right, mm -hmm. uh, in, in some of these sessions. And, and with that, ones that have struggled with mental health, I've been able to really spend time, and I'm not a, a, a therapist, you know, I make that very clear, right, but to be able to refer them to sources. And I think it's gotten them thinking, right, that they have this, because they've slowed down, it's almost like that space has been created in their life mm -hmm. and in their work life to be like, yeah, I've kind of put this off and I'm really struggling and I need this. I need to find someone. So can you help me find someone mm. or what to do or what to read or who to talk to? And that has been sort of a, 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 um, a pleasant surprise, I may say, from this in my experience. Mm. That's great to hear and refreshing as well. And appreciate you being there. It seems like you've helped facilitate that as well. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of both the circumstance and the openness to it. So mm -hmm. that's really, really powerful. Um, Sharon, what about you from your perspective as, as the the lead chaplain in a sense and with the oversight that you have and the interactions with students. Well, I, I have to say, I certainly our schedules really were much more busy, much mm. fuller. Um, we were going at a slower pace, but we were going, I felt like at a fuller gate with um, the amount of students we were seeing over zoom. And one of the things that became really clear early on these were students that I did not know mm. that were reaching out because they felt something was off for them or they were frightened about how they were feeling. And we were able to get to the heart of the matter so much more quickly. Mm. And wow. I, it only occurred to me that that was happening maybe about halfway into the year where I'm thinking, wow, they didn't even know me. And when I, you know, asked and sort of open question, they were Right, would go right in. And so what that made me think about was the distractions in my office, the things that, you know, could get you, could buy time before mm. getting to the heart of the matter, whether it's I have a snow globe collection and I have goofy little wind-up toys. And I thought to myself, yeah, they only had just this, you know, mm. to look at. Um, and so I have thought about keeping some hours open over Zoom mm. so that people could make an appointment. Let's say they just didn't feel like walking across campus, but they wanna talk to somebody. And so I do, we've talked about this as a staff, we, we are gonna hang on to some of that. Mm -hmm. um, when you know a, a couple other colleagues in our office did anti-racist uh, book groups mm -hmm. and um, they had people uh, coming to these book groups that would never have been able to do it, but they just had to push a button mm -hmm. and they were there and they could eat their lunch and then, you know, push the button and go back to whatever they were doing. And so we see some sort of important aha moments in that, that I think mm. we're, you know, that, that the technology that we are all forced to use um, isn't all that bad in some cases. <laughs> Um, and so there's that. And, and I think specifically with some of these conversations, I can remember, oh, my goodness, the very first student who made an appointment to see me when we went into lockdown. And his first question was, is this the end of the world? Mm -hmm. 
And in all my years in chaplaincy, no one had asked me that question quite that way. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's the end of a world. Yeah. And I felt like, gosh, I hope I didn't freak him out by saying that, but I also felt it was important to tell the truth. And that's yeah. what I was feeling in that yeah. moment. And I think that's true. Um, that we, you know, it is the, it was the end of a world. Um, and so our work is what does this next world need to be so mm-hmm. that we are better in it mm-hmm. uh, and better for it. So it, you know, the, these deep conversations, some of them, you know, kind of existential and broad, and some of them just a person is personally terrified to leave their house mm-hmm. um, have been present in just such a high volume for, for all of us. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say is just as the sort of person that has to, you know, keep everybody afloat in terms of the other chaplains. Um, I just felt so humbled by how we were, when one person was down, someone else stepped in, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was just like, we didn't choreograph it that way, but I think all of us, all the different religious and spiritual organizations just knew you know, this is hard and we have to keep going, but we don't have to be perfect. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's so important. Mm-hmm. And I'm encouraged just what the, I mean, the theme that keeps coming up is the opportunity that's been there in a lot of ways. And it's great to know that you're keeping both of those in-person and Zoom options available to create more opportunity in some ways as well. I think I think it will lead us to important insights into how to do how how other ways to do this work. And mm-hmm. honestly, the key has always been in ministry not to abandon. Mm-hmm. So now we're in a situation where we physically couldn't be together, but we had to think of ways to help people not feel like they were abandoned, right? And that they're suffering alone. Um, and so, it, you know, again, it's an, it was an imperfect thing, but it, mm-hmm. it did give us some stuff, I think, that we have to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And creative community. And I think even the way you've described the students, I mean, I, I feel like I have to give them a lot of uh, encouragement and support for just even taking advantage. Of that. I mean, you said you're hearing from students that you never heard from before. Mm-hmm. So taking a step out of a comfort zone to reach out and to connect. And it sounds like those conversations are going very deep, very quickly. So again, that opportunity in that community and, you know, encouraging to hear even the way amongst the chaplains that you've been able to step in for each other. I think that speaks well about your community as well and the ways that you all are supporting, supporting each other in these different ways. So Orlando, for for you as a, uh, a pastor of the Black Church at Yale, have you seen some of these same principles at play? Are there other ones that have uh, come up that we haven't quite touched on as well in terms of the students' emotional journeys and just support around mental health? Yes, uh, I'm seeing a lot of overlap. Uh, I I think for me, there's been a dream come true, something that I've desired for many years. And that is um, uh, ongoing conversation Mm. uh, and just an opportunity for a continuity of, of experience. And over this pandemic, it's been nice to be able to um, have ongoing conversations about a student's well-being or about what they're thinking, what they're experiencing, what they're dreaming about or what their concern is versus just you, you speak to somebody once and you don't hear them, hear from them again. Mm-hmm. And so something that I 
it's a desire because it's, it's usually one-on-one. And so I'm trying to think, well, how do, how do we multiply this? But it's the opportunity to really have uh, someone walk beside a student, uh, like a shepherd would walk beside sheep, like someone really to take them from one place to another and be there for conversation, be there for dialogue, or just be there to listen, which is mostly what happens. Uh, me being able to, to be quiet and just hear uh, and to ask questions that will serve the student and will help bring reflection and revelation, um, but also just maybe greater clarity on where they are, or just the assurance that you're not alone. Uh, even if you may uh, feel that you're alone in, in certain ways, I'm also here with you. Um, and then the second thing that has happened that I think uh, Sharon has really demonstrated. So Sharon has this wonderful opportunity to be a leader of leaders. Uh, leading the chaplain office chaplains, uh, but then also leading the larger group of religious ministers on campus. And something that Sharon has done, I uh, at the end of the semester, I realized it was an opportunity for myself. So Sharon helps us to get through the semester. It just helps us to say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is what needs to happen. And after we get through the semester, uh, Sharon, you help us get through the year and you know get through the rest of the year. And um, it wasn't until the end of last semester that I realized that one of my goals uh, or, or uh, one of the opportunities that I had was just to shepherd the students through and mm -hmm. to not lose any. Mm -hmm. um, and if there is a principle, maybe I'll call it the uh, Harriet Tubman principle, uh, where you're leading uh, a group of people from one place to another place, but you're helping them to make that journey. And so when I come into this semester, this year, one of the things I'm thinking about is like, okay, how do I help the students who have begun this journey to make it to the next stage? Mm -hmm. And they don't have to make it perfectly. They don't have to make it necessarily with all the goals achieved that they've come into the semester with, um, but how do I help them to make it and then cause them to look back and say, see how far I've come? and see that we've come together. And th that's a wonderful opportunity, is a, a wonderful blessing to be a part of that process. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's part of something that helps with, with mental health is being able to say, uh, we've done it once, we mm -hmm. can do it again. Mm -hmm. Or other people before me have done it, maybe I can do it too. Uh, and that's something that I'm looking forward to embracing and honoring and cherishing and rising to the occasion to contribute to their own journeys from one place to the beginning place, even if it's just uh, the journey from August to December mm -hmm. and then January to May. Uh, and then, of course, over the summer, because we're still with them in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And it reverberates as you said, and as they're learning from their own journeys or looking to others as well and seeing how that, that goes forward in a lot of ways. And, you know, my, um, I'm trying not to go too much into neuroscience, but in some ways it thinks about just the way our brains are designed as well and the ways that our brains respond to things in our environment, how we're really recreating those things for us to perceive that. I mean, people talk about, you know, the memory cells in certain parts of the brains and taxi drivers, they're called mirror neurons, which can kind of respond to you know certain things in the environment and even just what you're talking about is and yeah you know, might be getting too far outside and making this this parallel too strong but i'm just thinking about the ways that we can do that in our lives and learn from that and grow from that as communities as well 
Um, and so, yeah, just just encouraged to hear that approach and for what you what you see coming forward in this this new semester as well. And I think you're all highlighting some of the strengths. It seems that you all have been able to galvanize, and the students have also been using um, overall, just in terms of emotional wellness and mental health and things that they can use going forward. Um, not to make things negative, but I'm also curious if there have been misperceptions that you've run into. And I bring that up because I think sometimes that can be clarifying to speak about in larger context, mm. because I know in events that we've done in the past, you know, after we've spoken about those things in the public space, people have said, oh, I've been thinking about these things for years, but I've never had a place to talk about them. So sometimes I think it's, it's helpful for us to, to voice those things and to be able to, to correct those misperceptions whether they're intentional or unintentional, and then help us all think about ways to move forward. So I'm just curious if, as you've been interacting with students, if there are certain misconceptions about either spiritual practices or mental health that you've had to confront in a gentle and loving way to help students move to a better place, and if there's principles we can apply from those things uh, going forward. So Sharon, would you be willing to, uh, to start with that? Sure. Um... You know, I'm always very candid with students that I'm not a therapist mm -hmm. um, and that I will share with them when they're saying something that is making me frightened for them. Mm. That again, I won't uh, abandon them if I feel like we need, we need, you know, we need extra support here. We need to, you know, go over, walk over to mental health and counseling. I'll stay with them. But I have found what's changed over time, and this really isn't related to the pandemic, I think it's the time that we're in, is that it's a lot easier to talk about mental health issues mm -hmm. with students from across many um, religious and spiritual communities. And I can remember a time when it wasn't so easy mm -hmm. and that there was a lot of shame involved if there was ever kind of a conversation about sharing a diagnosis with a family member or a family member having a diagnosis and then the, the student processing that and not really knowing what to do with it. That has really changed and changed for the better. And so now you can have these conversations with a student. Let's say they have a counselor and they're not comfortable with that person. Um, you know, you can say, well, if you didn't like your dentist, you would change your dentist mm -hmm. because you want what's best for your teeth. Well, right. Not what's best for your mental health, you know. So it, when when I first do a few screening questions to find out is the you know is the the fact that they don't like the experience does it have to do with the the fact that they don't feel better yet, and is that the therapist's fault or is that part of the mm -hmm. process? So mm -hmm. you know you kind of have to do a little mining mm -hmm. around that. But um, and I'm not sure if this is getting exactly to your question, but I know that I'm just getting a lot more frank with students. Mm -hmm. when talk about this and and the difference between a mental illness and a time of mental anguish or distress mm -hmm. whether it be from you know bad news or you know broken heart or something like that that's the stuff of life mm -hmm. and making a distinguish you know making a distinction between the two so that they can get the best help and also understand that they can survive it yeah i think that's really helpful i mean even as someone who's not the mental health professional to help the students identify that as well. Cause that's something that students and all of us can struggle with at times, you know, when there is that mental anguish or something that happens in the moment and really trying to distinguish between those. Cause I think, and this has come up in other episodes before there has been healthier language around mental health, but sometimes I think it does get confusing. Um, so even we had uh, Victoria Garrett, who was a former D1 athlete trying to really encourage people when they say that they're feeling depressed, but then also trying to think about, well, are they really, Depressed or is it something in the moment? 
And yeah. this is something to have, always need to have the tools to walk through those versus trying to pull in and get extra help. So the fact that the students are allowing you to be frank in those conversations, I think it's really healthy in a lot of ways and very encouraging. Yeah, I, I think it is. And I, I think we've seen this also from the Olympic athletes who mm -hmm. are naming what they're going through and normalizing that mm -hmm. and, you know, na naming their needs and normalizing the language in such a way that I think, you know, young people will look at that and go, oh, that isn't quite what I thought it was, you mm -hmm. know, and, and they're okay. And other things happened and that's okay too. And mm -hmm. um, I think all of that is to the good. Yeah. Definitely. And then, as you mentioned, having the openness to say, OK, you can walk them down to uh, mental mm -hmm. health and counseling. And there's there's not shame that should be associated with that. That is just part of the process. And you should be we should all be thinking about getting the help that we need for whatever we might be going through at any specific point in time, whether it's just the anguish of a situation or of something that's much more all consuming. So that's encouraging for me to hear as well. Yeah. Definitely. Omar, anything that you've you've run into or noticed with with the students that you've been working with? <laughs> Sure. Uh, uh, and thank you, Sharon, for, for setting that up. Uh, uh, in fact, the, the, one of the things that I want to talk about, which was related to that, is there was a new study that was just published in JAMA Psychiatry last week that got a lot of press. NPR did a story on it, and it got national press. It was out of Stanford. And really quickly, the summary of it, and it was very relevant to this, is that, you know, that they found that the American Muslim community is twice as likely to have attempted suicide as compared to other religious communities. Wow. Uh, and then it was a fascinating study, an article that delved into the reasons. They said there's really two factors, right? One is religious discrimination, the, the, the toxic corrosive effects of Islamophobia mm. and of, of xenophobia on these communities. And the second is community stigma. And that's where I want to connect with what Sharon was saying is that, you know, all of our communities in their respective ways have had stigmas against mental health and talking frankly about these conversations. And I think one thing that's happened now is that our communities, at least my community in particular, I'll just talk about this, is finally the door is opening, right? Mm. Where you know, we're reaching uh, you know, uh, crisis levels uh, of this, the corrosive effects of this stigma. And so we need to start talking about this. And I really want to applaud the people who participate in this. I know the, the director that ran the uh, study at Stanford, wonderful female scholar, um, Dr. Rania Wad, and just, you know, really the, what, from our community and then looking outward is, is pulling the curtain back on these stigmas. Um, uh, because it's something that our students, right, and connect to the, the second thing I want to say is that, you know, for the longest time, uh, our students uh, haven't wanted to talk about these things, but maybe just something with the pandemic is it opened up conversation doors, right? Mm. And one of the things, uh, and to Sharon's point about just being frank, I really love the way you framed that, is I want to say this, is that, you know, we understand Yale is a high octane place. The type of people that come to Yale, the type of people that, that excel at Yale, it's all about excellence. It's all about being the best from the faculty to the staff, to the students, to the athletes and on. And so it becomes actually, I think, very problematic mm. in that that coupled with this like idea of the grind and hustle culture, right? Is that like, What's, what am I doing on my TikTok and my IG? You know, how is it part of my brand and furthering my place in the world? And I think our students are really susceptible to that. And some of the frank conversations I had with my students is like, that's not all real. Like, we all need to learn to dial it down and to be real. There's a performativeness that is almost fetishized, I think, amongst our society now, and especially at these high pressure, you know, cookers like Yale. And that I think uh, one of the, it's a negative, but it's a breakthrough that I think I had with some students or that students have themselves, I should say, is that they're just like, yeah, that's not sustainable. 
that wasn't that's not gonna be sustainable through the pandemic and i don't know if it's gonna be sustainable afterward so you know if they're able you know from that negative experience to walk in to say that i need to dial it down hey that's a win right um yeah. so yeah that's something i put out there oh, that's great that's great and something that i think is so applicable even in the broader sense and you know as you're as you're talking about i'm thinking like if that framework can perpetuate how powerful that yeah. can be to really just shift things mm-hmm. across across culture and I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that you've had those conversations in a lot of ways and the openness openness is definitely important um and even as i mean you mentioned the first the first challenge though you know with all the uh islamophobia and xenophobia that still mm-hmm. obviously still has to be addressed but mm-hmm. um encouraged that the conversation is happening and you know those other pieces are much bigger conversations than than we're having here but you know mm-hmm. just it'd be great to see you know on both sides if we can really do that across the board and so but again just i feel like i'm repeating myself but i'm grateful for just the way that you all are engaging with the students and just all that's coming out of that already which i think is really powerful and impactful Orlando, anything you wanted to add in your uh, your interactions with your students in your sphere of influence as well? Yes, uh, I think one um, kind of uh, misunderstanding or even missed opportunity is in recognizing the overlap between uh, community care and health and individual care and health as it relates to mental health. And students, uh, in my experience, are more open to speaking about what's happening for them individually and requesting things individually. Uh, But students won't necessarily talk with each other as much as I think they could benefit if there was more of a community of support in a community of care. And one of my challenges is saying, okay, how can I um, support what's happening at the individual level and in an appropriate way and in a way that can be healing uh, to allow the community aspect to come together. Uh, so that's something that I'm working on. So I think there's, um, there seems to be not a stigma with being transparent one-on-one, but perhaps uh, still a stigma with being transparent in more of a group setting. Mm. Uh, so that's one thing that, that I'm experiencing and thinking about. And the other piece is when students do want help, uh, they're asking me to help them to find um, specialists who look like them and have their faith background. Mm. So that even as they're going through a treatment process or care process, uh, they are not um, directed away from their values. And so that has uh, presented me with an opportunity Mm -hmm. to try to see, okay, who are individuals who may relate with students mm-hmm. uh, and do some vetting mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, and I found that it's, it's not easy. It, it is not easy. Like I don't have a, a huge, large pool to choose from. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does help is the opportunity of virtual support. Uh, so maybe there's a larger network than just who is in, let's say, New Haven or Connecticut, uh, but might be able to connect students with uh, professionals who are in their own hometown or home country mm-hmm. and, and to be able to do that. Um, uh, so, so I think those are two areas, being more of a community support and having mental health to be a community process mm-hmm. and focus, uh, and then also helping students to be okay with who I walk them to in mm-hmm. terms of 
uh, getting more professional help. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are two areas that I need to grow in and that I'm trying to train in right now so that I'm better equipped and I have more of a network of professionals around me as, as we dive into this for this particular year and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important. I'm glad you brought that to the forefront as well. And, you know, something that the field has been grappling with for a while in a lot of ways, just making sure that people are, you know, the phrase people use to have cultural competency in terms of what background they have and even the faith traditions. I mean, I think the mental health field has moved forward in a lot of ways. I think, and Sharon, you mentioned this before, even within the mental health field, I think in the past, there was a tendency to be dismissive about people's cultural experiences and mm -hmm. to be dismissive about the faith journeys. Whereas now there is more of a push to say, no, we really need to think about people as whole people and not pretend that those things aren't part of people's lives mm -hmm. and not pretend that even despite all the research and the evidence showing that being members of communities and faith communities in general, you know, can have both positive and negative effects on people's mental health, depending on how that's approached. But you can't just dismiss the whole thing and, and remove that. And, you know, as people of faith here who... Uh, believe in the power of God to work through these things, that needs to be integral as well. But to your point, Orlando, it's still difficult mm -hmm. for people to get connected with the resources because the resources aren't what they need to be. So uh, kudos to you for doing that homework. But in some ways, it also reflects on the system that you have to do that homework in the first place and it's not readily available. That's something we're still definitely moving forward um, with. And just, you know, and I, just to say, you know, if your students want access to resources, they can definitely reach out to me and I can put them in touch um, with folks. Some, several of the guests who have come on this podcast have focused on that in particular. And so I think it's an ongoing and important conversation. Again, just appreciate your transparency and sharing that because it's really, really important and critical. And again, I keep harping back to this, but you all are on the front lines in so many ways and really encouraging and empowering the students in those conversations and normalizing it as well. I know we used normalizing in different ways. We can't get back to the normal that we had before, but we can continue to normalize these conversations. And it sounds like you all are doing that um, in so many ways. Um, the time always goes fast on this, on this podcast, but I did want to wrap up just by talking about the vision that you all have for the year going forward and vision in the sense of, of hopes and dreams, maybe not in the sense of specific strategies, because we've already <laughs> made sure that that's not <laughs> acknowledged that that's not yeah. the case here. Um, but yeah, just your vision for um, yourselves and, and for the students uh, as they're coming back. And not to throw too many questions in at once, but as we've been talking, I've also been thinking about all three of you and just your own emotional wellness as you are carrying and walking through with the students. And that can be a load and a burden sometimes, not that it's meant to be a burden, but just you know, hoping that you all have the space for your own self-care as well. And it sounds like you have that in community, but... Um, just curious, you know, as you talk about vision, if there's space um, for you to even talk about how you envision that for yourself as well. So that was a very loaded and very compound question. So I, I feel bad calling on anyone to go first, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, Omar, would you be, sure, <laughs> be sure. wanting to jump in? Um, no, I really appreciate the question, the questions and that. And so what I would say is two things. One is that... Um, you know, uh, just the return to community and to just be honest about what that's going to look like, that we're going to phase it in. Uh, but the goal is ultimately God willing to move to a more connected community. Mm -hmm. Um I think that that we can be authentic and honest with our community, with our students, right? With our communities, not just students. Um, 
because that way we manage expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. So my vision is is that we're going to emerge from this uh, wizened and and in many ways, uh, uh, you know, with a deeper appreciation for the things that we missed, uh, that we've missed out on, that we've lost. Um, uh, in one sense, and then in terms of the other thing that I would say is, um, you know, I think that uh, you know, there's a saying, right? Every chaplain needs a chaplain. And so I am so deeply grateful for for Sharon and Orlando uh, and yourself and, you know, just friends and colleagues that that are in these spaces that do this work that at least for me, help me process it because mm-hmm. I am, uh, you know, an obsessive reader of news. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a news junkie. And if and the world is a very uh, difficult uh, in many ways, heartbreaking place. Mm. And, and uh, you know, if we get tunnel vision and just get sucked into that, it is so disheartening. So I think the ability to be able to process it with with friends and loved ones mm. uh, and to just really talk it through, um, that to me is just like a, been a saving grace. Um, mm. And I think helps us keep all our sanity and, and, and our sort of mental health and spiritual health. So Agreed, agreed. Well, appreciate you talking that through with us today too, because it's been, it's been encouraging and and in some ways, eye-opening for me as well, just to hear it again, just the pieces that you've all been walking through with your students. Orlando, what about you? Yes, uh, I'm thinking about two things. One, values and gifts. Uh, so in terms of values, what, what are our community values that we can lean into at this time? And what are our individual values um, that I can help encourage students to lean in to at this time? So even if it's not, um, even if a strategy is not quite clear or program is not quite clear, we can have uh, a matrix upon which or through which we make decisions. And that matrix can be our collective and individual values. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the challenge is uh, whichever, with every new semester and with every new school year, the population of students changes. Mm-hmm. And with that, there may come differences in values or maybe not but I think I'm still gonna have to go through the process of saying, okay, well, what are our values and how can we lean into them? One, so that we are sure where we stand, Mm -hmm. um, but also so that we can let other people know where we stand and be more of an inviting community. Um, And then that will allow us, uh, especially on my end, to have values-based collaboration. Um, so for, for Orlando to do what Orlando can do well, and then for me to broaden the network of who our members and students can uh, reach out to and be in community with. Uh, so that community, you know, one blessing of the pandemic is that our identity is not tied to a place. It's not tied mm-hmm. to a physical location. Um, it's not tied to an address. It's not even tied to a time zone. So how can we think uh, more broadly and more inclusively about who we are and who we can be in relationship mm-hmm. to one another? And uh, if we can uh, start to identify um, and choose what values we want, I think that will help with collaboration and deepening community. Um, And then the other piece in terms of gifts, uh, I think there's healing in the body. And I think that everything, um, everything we need is in the house. And I Mm -hmm. think about God's house, but Mm -hmm. I think there are enough gifts. I think that there are enough strengths in who we are collectively that when any one of us leans into those strengths, but at the same time, we really can um, bring a lot of hope, 
bring a lot of healing, bring a lot of positive transformation to everyone with whom we are connected. Um, I know one of my gifts is exhortation. And, you know, exhortation is a time for now, or, or now is the time for exhortation. So I'm trying to say, okay, how can I lean into who I am? Mm. And for people who have other strengths, how can I encourage them to lean in to those strengths? And BK is a student-run church. Mm. And students, um, as they're young adults beginning, they don't always recognize uh, what their strengths are, what their mm. gifts are, and mm. what the gem is that they bring mm. to their families or those around them. Um, and some who do recognize it don't believe it. Mm. And a question I have is, Orlando, okay, how can I help uh, raise for them the opportunity to see that not only are they a part of a larger community, but they are a valuable part of a larger community and not based on how they perform, but based on who they are at their core and what they value and what they see. Um, and I think that's a challenge that I wanna lean into uh, as we go into this year to um, celebrate gifts of what people bring to the table uh, and also to lift up values to see if we can be more collaborative and expand our definition of community. Mm, that's so good. So many important pieces there. I mean, just the value component as well and the strengths that students can bring to encourage one another. And in some ways, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I, I have a sense that that's something that you all are doing in your role in the chaplain's office as well. Even the way you talked about leaning on one another, people stepping in, that people have a sense of their values and their strengths and their gems and are able to use those to encourage the whole body within the chaplain's organization. So to see that amongst your students as well goes such a long way. And even from, I'm thinking just in terms of a mental health perspective, you know, some of the mental health interventions, they're really focused on perspective. You know, what is actually happening in the world versus how do I perceive that? And really shifting that to make sure the perceptions match the reality. And so if the students are getting a sense of their true value and having that perception, how powerful that can be to moving forward. Not that it solves everything, but having that appropriate and fixed perspective in the same way that we can do that um, through reading holy scriptures and things like that to reshape our perspective what does god say about us and how do we use that to then interact with the world and think about ourselves so yeah just just encouraged by the framing that you've put there and for all that you all are doing sharon to give you the last word to wrap all this together with these great comments from omar and uh and orlando well, I'm humbled by my beloved preaching brothers. <laughs> so I can I won't be I won't be anywhere near as eloquent, but I will honestly say my vision is blurry for the future, but I am fueled by grace. That I know. I have an abiding faith that that is present and um and I hope to embody it uh in forms of compassion and kindness and um you know, how to sustain that for ourselves so that we can continue to, to do this work really has to do with, um, you know, in many ways, knowing your limits, knowing that you um, are called to be present, but you aren't called to fix. Mm -hmm. um, and so to not look away, uh, to lead with kindness and compassion and know that the rest uh, is really out of our hands. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do, you know, I feel grateful for my colleagues. I feel grateful for my family. Um, and I know that, <laughs> you know, the, the impact of this work 
is something we won't see. Mm, <laughs> so, yeah. And that I came to terms with that years ago. Mm. You know? And um, and there's there's a lightness to that that mm. I think is is healthy to keep in mind, especially at a place like Yale, where there's lots of talk about legacy and you know impact and all these things. Mm. And mm-hmm. I, I can't do the work with that in mind. Mm. I, I do the work for the for the present and mm. um, and hope that those seeds lead to uh, a better world. Such good wisdom. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you to all of you for this rich conversation. Very edifying in a lot of ways. You know, even as we're walking through these challenging times, even with the uncertainties, to know just the power of community and the power of knowing our value and knowing our worth and having others who are walking through that with us, I think goes goes so far. And it'll be important for all of us uh, across the country as we're heading back into this this new semester with so many different different aspects of what we haven't experienced before. So again, grateful to the work that you all are doing. Grateful for your willingness to share this with our audience. I know it's going to be something that will be enriching and a blessing to them as well. And thank you again for taking time out of your schedules, even as you're getting close to the semester start to come here and have this conversation. I'm deeply appreciative. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nee. Yeah, thank you, Nee.